A few weeks ago, we started a sermon series that, that we titled No Doubt About It. And um, it was intended or it is intended to help us understand some of the basics regarding salvation and the Christian life. Maybe you've been exposed to uh, something like this before. Have you ever seen cheap imitations of something that is the real thing? For example, have you ever seen, um, have you ever seen imitation AirPod Pros? Have you ever seen that before? I think you can get them on you know, eBay for, I don't know, 10 bucks or something like that. But they're imitations of something that is the real thing. I have traveled, I've been in, in foreign countries before where they have um, imitation iPhones and um, it's quite humorous actually, but they're, they're, they're cheap imitations of the real thing. And usually upon some kind of investigation, it is clear that that's not the real thing. That's just a cheap imitation. The text that we've used as, as kind of our launching point is 2 Corinthians 13.5. And it says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. That is illegitimate. There is something that is only a, for lack of a better expression, cheap imitation. So the title of the message a few weeks ago is what does it mean to be saved? And then um, last week we, we continued with something, or tonight we're actually gonna continue with something that we began a couple weeks ago. And that is how can I know that I am saved? We're gonna cover this tonight. We'll probably spend one more Sunday evening on this topic and then we'll, we'll move out into some other areas. So how can I know that we're saved? The first point is all that we got to a couple weeks ago. And we started with we know that we're saved because of what the Bible says. We know we're saved because of what the Bible says. Now before we go any further tonight with additional content, please know that we cover that one first because it's the most important. We're going to talk about some of those, I don't know, intangibles. They're, they're not as cut and dry. They're sometimes a little bit more challenging to deduce, but they're legitimate indicators of our salvation. So where do we begin? How can I know that I'm saved? Well, what does the Bible say? We, we found ourselves in 1 John chapter 5 and in verse number 11, the Bible says, and this is the record. Okay, this is something established that God hath given unto us eternal life and this life is in his son. And then in no uncertain terms, he simply says, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. Here's the record. This is what is established. God has given to us eternal life. This is not anything that we're, well, you know, can anyone really know? Yeah, a person actually can really know. And then he says, here's how you know, because this is established. God's given it. He that hath the son has life. Uh, he that does not have the son does not have life. Sometimes we focus a lot on, I don't know if I'm really saved. Am I really going to heaven? But that is a residual question. It's not a primary question. Primary question is, do you have Jesus? Do you have Jesus? He that hath the son 
hath life. So don't spend so much time asking the question, ah, am I really going to heaven? Because, because that's not the primary question. The first question we ask is, do I have Jesus? And if you have Jesus, he that hath the Son hath life. He goes on and he even says, these things have I written unto you that believe. He's writing to believers. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay, you're believers. Why did he write this? That ye may know that ye have eternal life. He wrote these things. This is the word of God. To what end? Because we need to know, am I on my way to heaven? Do I have the Son? And if you know that, then this is an established fact. Here's the record. God has given it. If you have the Son, you have life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know. Can a person know that they're on their way to heaven? According to the word of God, the answer is affirmative. You can and should know. Again, of all the things we're going to cover tonight, please know that what does the Bible say? The word of God, this is the most important. It's the place where you should begin. Okay, so let's go on from from that established point to some additional points. Um, How can a person know that they are saved? Next. We have the confidence we are saved by the witness of, of the spirit we have the confidence that we are saved by the witness of the spirit you know that you are saved because you have this in a sense this knowledge this understanding that the spirit of God has actually taken up residence within you okay we're still in first John first John chapter 4 verse number 13 notice what the Bible says Hereby know we, okay, again, this is something that a person can and should know. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. Okay, he's just saying, you, you know, you have something established. You know that you dwell in him and he dwells in you. Well, how do I know that? because of the witness of his Holy Spirit. The moment a person is truly saved, that they pass from death to life, the Holy Spirit of God at that very moment takes up residence within your life. He comes to dwell within. Hence, Jesus says, listen, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Uh, let me ask you this, is it, is it possible for a person to know that another person loves them? Yes or no? Did you grow up knowing? Now, I know there are broken families in here, so I get that. And I know this isn't a perfect illustration, and, and, and I'm acknowledging it. But isn't it reasonable for a person to have this childhood growing up knowing my dad and my mom love me? And even when I've disappointed them, even when I've acted in a manner inconsistent with who they are and who I am, I know my parents love me. There's something something reassuring about that. 
Even in times of difficulty, some rough waters that families go through, times of rebellion of a child, there is still this understanding, I know something that is true, that's an intangible. Let me ask it this way. Isn't it possible to know, like to sense, ooh, there's something wrong with this relationship? I'm not being silly about it, and I'm not trying to be cute or funny about a relationship that is on this rocky path, but isn't it insightful that we almost have this this sixth sense when something's wrong in a relationship? I mean, it's not that they said anything, not that they did anything different. There is just something that is amiss. Something about the relationship is, is... I don't know, it's different. And we have even a hard time if we're trying to have conversation about it. We'll say something like, hey, what's going on? Everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. It just seems like there's something wrong. Like what? Well, I don't know. It just seems like there's something wrong. Do you know one of the things that God gave to us is this sense that things are right in my life between God's Holy Spirit and me. There seems to be something that is fit together in the right way regarding our relationship. I know that he's mine and I'm his. He says it this way in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 15. He says, for we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. This means like, wow, I'm part of the family. Whereby we cry, Abba. Father, that is Papa, God, this very, very endearing term, this this familial term, this family vocabulary, Father, Abba, God. And then the passage goes on and it says this, the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you know what God's Holy Spirit is doing? Okay, so now we've not been given this this confusion spirit, the spirit of fear, but we've been given this spirit of adoption, whereby we have now every right to say, that's my, that's my, I'm not being silly about it. And I'm not trying to be, again, like use, use language that would be disrespectful. But we might use the term, that, that's my, my papa. That's, that's my father. We've received the right to say, Papa, Father, God. And then he goes on, he says, "Here's here's one of the ways you know the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. Like we're in agreement. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, the children of God. Let me ask you this. Do you have that confirmation within your spirit? You say, well, well, that's kind of iffy and that's challenging. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to add something myself. I'm just using what the Bible says. And the Bible says that a person should be able to say, I don't have the spirit of fear. I have this spirit of adoption where I can say, that's my father and his Holy Spirit who's taken up residence within me has confirmed with my spirit that I am a child of God. It's not uncommon This is not uncommon. I've had this myself. I've experienced this myself. I've seen people experience this time and time and time again, that you are with a person who actually is passing from death to life. They are calling on the name of Almighty God and they are 
just like any person who is ever saved, they are gloriously, wonderfully saved. Have you ever prayed with someone regarding the matter of salvation and when they finish their prayer, they look up at you as if a a hundred pound bag of sand has just been lifted from off their shoulders. As if some, some real felt weight of sin actually literally rolled off their back. And, and sometimes a child will even say, without prompting, we're not saying, do you feel different now? A child will just simply say, I feel different. Why is that? Because God, the Holy Spirit, just took up residence inside their life. And he says, you now belong to me. And now you can call God your father. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, let's just take that thought a little bit further, extrapolate some ideas. And isn't it also possible that a person can be related officially, but have a problem with the relationship? Like I'm related, but now there are some issues with the relationship, okay? So um, let's see here, have, have um, all three of us men here on the platform, we're all married, okay? Um, so, so you've been married the, how long? Eight years, you've been married for 32 years, and I've been married for 29 years. So, so I'm right in the, I'm, well, I'm more towards the older. I was gonna say I'm right in the middle, but I'm not, okay? so. So we've been married, all of us have been married for several years. Have you ever had, it's just us talking tonight. I'll just sit down with you guys, okay. Have you ever had a little tension between you and the missus? Ever in the history of, and you are in church, so you should answer honestly, okay. Yes, see, he just answered right away. Go ahead, Dr. Zach. I don't need to answer, he said. That means, yes, he has, okay? Okay, but, but at that moment, I'm, let's just pretend a little bit. Okay, so have you ever had that time where you're driving the car, but there's a little tension in the car? So you're driving, and your wife is staring out the passenger window. And it's not that she's interested in that. She's just like, you know, you're driving, and she's over here. You know, we're in America. We're not in in England where it's opposite side. So you're driving and she's, you're looking over at her and she is just looking out the window. <laughs> and you're driving and it is, I mean, it is tense in the car, okay? Driving, you want something to eat? <laughs> Not really, okay? <laughs> and I mean, it is, now you guys, a few times. Now we got a few times. Before it was never, now a few. We're going to have to do counseling tonight. Okay, so. Okay. The point is that there is possibly at times between married people a little tension. But are they still married people? <laughs> wow, I got a couple strong amens from right back here. Amen, they said. Okay. Okay, so married, still married, but, but a little tension. The, the fact that you are related is established. It's just that the relationship is a little strained. Okay, oftentimes between God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within, and our spirit, if there is something, it's not a problem on his side. The problem would rest on our side. 
So then it, it is up to us to resolve the issue so that, that that fact that we're related, never in question, but now the relationship is restored. Now that, that free flow of conversation, of confirmation is reestablished. How is it that a person knows that they're saved? Well, we have confidence that we're saved by the witness of the Spirit. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Let's go beyond this a little bit further. How do we know we're saved? Well, we have the confidence that we're saved by the witness of the Spirit. We also have the confidence we are saved because we keep His commandments. Now, I think this is interesting. And so let's, let's talk through this for just a moment. I think it's interesting that many times we go to great lengths to tell people that you can live however you want to live and still be a Christian. Now remember, there are no Christian sins and non-Christian sins. Sin is sin. And I would also submit that any sin that an unbeliever can commit is also a sin that a believer can commit apart from what we would refer to as as the the unpardonable sin the blasphemy of the holy spirit it's impossible for a believer to commit so there's no christian sins no non-christian sins it's just sin you, you don't categorize you don't say well you know um, um before i was saved i could commit this sin after i'm saved that 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 is a sin that believers can't ever no sin is sin and believers sin but, but oftentimes we go to such lengths to highlight grace that we start to diminish the reality that, that Christians, they keep his commandments. There's something that, that happened intrinsically to us. That, that what happened, what I was before, I am no longer. If, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are indeed passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Something dynamic, transformational, this metamorphosis, it took place. And now I couldn't keep those commandments before. I had no power, no ability. But now a person comes into this new life, this new and living way. And, and now... That which I didn't do before, I, I actually want to do now. I, I have something that, that is completely different about me. In 1 John, all throughout this book, we, we see this dynamic between, okay, I know the reality that, that I do sin, but I also know that this is, this is not the reasonable expectation of my life. I don't want to live in that. I, I want to keep his commandments. I want to live in a manner that's consistent with who I am. In, in chapter 1, verse number 5, he says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
this is this, this challenging place of like, okay, I, I, I want to keep his commandments, but sometimes I do sin. But, but my desire, do, do you remember in Romans 7, the things that I don't want to do, I'm doing. The things I want to do, I want to do. I don't. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin, this body of death? Oh, thank God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What happens when a person is saved? Haven't you ever met a person before that nobody had to tell them, stop doing this, but after they got saved, they stopped doing that? Haven't you ever met a person before who, who they so flippantly use the high holy name of God as if it were some trashy, cheap swear word? And as casually and as flippantly, they would throw out the name of God and after they came to know Jesus Christ, that name took on new significance to them. And there was something inside of them that said, hey, stop using that name that way. And so something, nobody said, hey, cut it out. Someone inside them, the Holy Spirit of God said, hey, don't do that. Okay. Now here's what you should do. Okay. And now there is this new change in their life and there's something that they actually literally want to do in first john chapter 2 verse number 3 the bible says and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments oh wow this is this challenge hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments i i don't always keep his commandments i know um, that passage goes on and it's wonderful. It says, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Ah, this is the complete, this is the real Christian life. Hereby know that we know him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself. Here's the goal. This is what we ought to do. This is not automatic. This is not, I'm now this Christian robot that I just automatically, in some robotic fashion, begin to do the commandment. No, no, no. He says, this is what you ought to do. This is the fulfillment of the Christian life, and that is to keep his commandments. Yeah, I'm going to stop lying because that's inconsistent with who I am. And when I lie, there is someone inside that says, hey, cut it out. You might have been able to do that before you knew me with some sense of freedom, with some sense that, that I can do whatever I want, but not now. Because now there's actually someone inside of you that is, is in a sense like that, like that referee, that official who just blew the whistle and said, hey, you know that's inconsistent with who you are. This is how you ought to walk. That's the reality of the Christian life. We can overcomplicate this, but the idea is that our spirit changes because of the presence of his spirit. What the Apostle John is communicating is that sin is not to be the new normal for the life of one who has passed from death to life. It, we're not supposed to be settled in, comfortable with, with living like we used to live because that's not us anymore. Like, I'm different. I, I, why would I continue to do that? Because I'm a new person. That, that guy died, and now I am alive in Jesus Christ. I want to live in a way that's consistent with this new me. 
It would clearly be an error to say that a believer cannot sin. But it would not be an error to say that a believer is able not to sin. Do you understand? It'd be an error to say that believers don't sin, but it's not an error to say, oh, wow, believers don't have to. I don't have to do what I used to do because I have the spirit of God living within me. What I am saying is there is such a thing as victorious expectation. Victorious expectation that I should experience victory over sin. And when I sin, and I do, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who restores my relationship because of my sonship. Hey, I'm part of his family. And now I have someone who stands before God the Father, my advocate. Listen, if believers didn't sin ever from the point of their salvation, there'd be no need for an advocate. But there is an advocate before the Father. And if we sin, and we do, if we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The world thinks that if you just act like a Christian, then you will become one. The problem is you can't truly act like a Christian until you've become one. And once we do become Christians, we should say, I want to keep the commandment of God. Okay, listen, everybody in here, if you have no desire whatsoever to keep the commandments of God, then my strong encouragement for you is to examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Well, I just, I don't even care about pleasing God. Wow. A a believer should come to this place where he says, I I don't do, I I wish I was keeping the commandments like I should. I I wish I was obedient. I want to. And sometimes, oh Lord, I, I find this joy when I keep your commandments. But when I don't, there's something that's not right within me. Do you have desire to keep the commandments of God? And if you say, quite honestly, I do not. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just, I don't really care about that. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. This is an incredible, I don't know, sometimes we say this is a mystery to those who've never experienced it. The Bible says in Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Jesus Christ dwells within, there should be some desire to keep his commandments. And lastly, we have confidence we are saved because we have a new awareness of and hatred for sin. How do we know we're saved? Because I have a new awareness of. Things that did not bother me before, things that I could wholly endorse that the Bible clearly condemns. I, 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 I have this new awareness of like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. No, I'm not good with that. No, that's, that's deceitful. Why would I do that? Because, oh, now I'm trying to manipulate this whole, oh, no, I, I can't look at, no, I don't want to be involved with. There is a new hatred for, this awareness of hatred for sin. In 2 Peter chapter 2, 7 and 8, we find a passage of scripture that oftentimes our, our minds struggle reconciling. Here's what it says. 
and delivered just Lot. Now, the word just that you see in front of you, it doesn't mean only Lot, it means justified Lot. And delivered, justified Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation, that word means lifestyle, of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Okay, we sometimes wonder like how in the world can we call a guy like Lot justified? And it sure doesn't, in, in the Old Testament, it sure doesn't appear that, jo- that, that Lot had any issue with ungodly men. Lot's the guy, lest we forget, Lot is the guy who offers his virgin daughters to godless, vile men to do with them as they would please in his attempt to secure the safety of the two messengers from God that were visiting him. This is, in our estimation, a man of despicable character. But isn't it interesting that when the the Old Testament saints, believers, people who are looking forward to the cross, by faith, Moses, by faith, Noah, by faith, David, by faith, Joshua, they're looking forward to the cross. Isn't it amazing how when we come through the Old Testament and we see the reality of their lives, failures, and they pass through the cross, And now they're presented in the New Testament. They're presented, listen, look through these Old Testament saints. They're spotless in the New Testament. You see a guy like Lot, yeah, and vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Why? Because Lot is a believer. And and you know, while we might not see it in the Old Testament, it is revealed to us in the New Testament that Lot was vexed. That means he is internally, continually troubled. Like, I can't, oh, I can't believe they're doing this. I, I hate it that they're doing this. Ah, oh, the, the, the impact that this is having in my life. I, I don't like what's going on around me. I'm, he's continually vexed. Now, again, the Holy Spirit is either confirming or rejecting our actions or our potential actions. That's one of the ways that you know that you're a believer. When we were in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible speaks, this was, this was when we were, we were studying some things in Galatians. The Bible speaks about all the hideous works of the flesh. And then it says, and they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Like, whoa, wow. Well, so, um, so if I do those things, I, the, I, I don't inherit the kingdom of God. I believe what Galatians is helping us understand is if this is my life, and man, I'm, I'm embracing this life, there is nothing new about you. Can a Christian do those things? Well, Lot's a sad example that his life was not marked by his godliness, but by his wickedness and the, the wickedness of the, the people around him. But it vexed his righteous soul. There was something troubling about everything that was taking place both around him and by him. Lot becomes, in a sense, the best and the worst example possible. He was what we would call a Christian, an Old Testament saint. But he was a Christian who was continually miserable because there was an honest awareness of and hatred for sin. Yet he was continually living in it. 
Are you a person living with an awareness of and hatred for sin? Or does it mean nothing to you? Like I'm really comfortable with. I can actually endorse what God despises. Wow, if that's you, my strong encouragement for you is to examine yourself to see whether ye be in the faith. The Christian who is living in sin is a miserable Christian. The Holy Spirit within you is constantly ill at ease. Now you may work hard to sear your conscience, but the Holy Spirit is not only or exclusively your conscience. You may even come to a point where you said, I've kind of come to terms with this, but the Holy Spirit has not. And if you're truly a a believer, a Christian, then one of the things that, that sin will do is it will make you and probably a lot of people around you miserable. If you're saved, then there is a continual battle that is raging within you regarding the matter of sin. And a saved person is not living with a constant plan for how to get away with sin, but rather on how to get away from it. Listen, are you a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ? Is your life this constant life of how can I get away with sin? That is inconsistent with the Christian life. What we should be asking is not, how can I get away with a little more sin? What we should be constantly asking is, how, God, can I get away from this sin? The things that I'm doing, I don't want to do. I had a a man after a service come to me and share this story. He said, um, I was having a conversation with my pastor years ago. And um, his pastor asked him, because he was struggling with sin, I don't remember the man's name, we'll call him John. He said, John, do you love sin? And John just was kind of answering honestly, he says, well, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't at least like it. I mean, why do we sin? Because there is some appeal to, albeit temporary, it leaves us lacking and wanting, but... There's some appeal, and John just honestly said, well, I mean, I, I'm, I like it. And then the pastor said, John, do you love that you love sin? To which he responded, no, I hate that I want sin. Do you know what that is? It's one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit residing within I I don't know where you are tonight regarding examining yourself. But there is a Holy Spirit and he takes up residence in the life of every believer. How can I know I'm saved? Well, start with what does the Bible say? And then from there, branch out a little bit. Do I want to keep his commandments? And do I have a new awareness of and hatred for sin? Is there someone inside that continually speaks truth to me from which I cannot get away? These things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have 
eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God.